Australian Broadcast Radio, a centenary celebration. Hello everyone, today is November 12th and we mark our 12th of 23 interviews today with our special guest, Darren DeMello. Darren DeMello is a breakfast co-host at West Coast Radio in Western Australia. With a clearly talented voice used in voiceover and radio combined with his extensive work, Darren is a prime example of radio done right. Today, I sit with Darren and hear what he has to say about radio's history and his own. Here's what he had to say. Hello, so today I'm here with Darren DeMello, obviously from the other side of the country. We don't get many people from Perth in our little program here, but welcome, Darren. Wow, thank you, Stuart. Nice to be here. <laughs> thank you. Now, the thing is, I wanted to mention, I was looking at your history, right? And from what I've seen, especially of like sort of employee history and whatnot, um, you spent a lot of, even the majority of your time as a sort of an announcer or a presenter. It seems to, at least according to your work history, be right out of the gate, 1993. And was it difficult to immediately sort of get to that point? There wasn't any sort of producer work or was it immediately just straight on air? No, it was pretty much straight on air. I mean, it was a little bit different back then. I to be fair, I started when I was, before I turned 16, so I was 15, I was finishing year 11, and oh. I'd done work experience at Radio West, 60Z in Bunbury, hmm. um, which is now, nowadays a Triple M station, Right. and what was I doing first? I'm sure, I think I was reading some commercials, I think they, they gave me a shot to read, do a voice in a commercial, and they went, oh, okay, he's alright for that, we'll keep using him, and that's where I sort of started doing lots of stuff, and I don't know how good I was at, you know, 15, 15 16, but I was cheap, and I think that's probably the most important thing. <laughs> um, but also, then I'd start doing panelling things. Back in the day, we used to play shows like Take 40 Australia, the, which, depending on how old you are, it was the weekend countdown show, that would come off tape, and right. it was like a national program that would get farmed out everywhere and so you'd play it off tape but then you'd have to insert commercials and then in our case we used to do the weather at the top of each hour so you'd kind of get a kind of half on-air kind of shift by doing it by you know doing a little bit of on-air stuff so that was that was sort of all the those bits that <laughs> how i started and they also had no one doing overnights oh, they, they did i, I it was tricky. Sometimes they'd, they'd pay me to actually do a weekend overnight shift while I was still at high school. And sometimes they'd just get me to sit in the outside broadcast caravan and pre-record hours of overnights onto, and this shows you how long ago this was, onto videotape. Long play videotape was the, the, the only tape source that they had that could actually record for six hours. So all of those things, and weirdly enough, they actually, they just sort of let me get in there and take whatever music I liked in there to cover the six hours. They didn't even give me a guide as to what songs to play. So really? it was a slightly different time. So, yeah, I, I realise that's not necessarily how it goes these days because, I mean, you don't even necessarily find that many jobs that have got or stations that have got live midnight to dawn shifts on. Yeah, you know? it, I feel like I've seen a lot of times where a lot of people pre-record. It feels like it varies per station, per announcer even. It does, it does. But more and more places these days do. I mean, obviously, pre-recording is a lot easier now because you only have to record the voice tracks. But mm. yeah, the, uh, the it's, it's funny because I, I don't know how to. I suppose what I, how I got into the business was kind of typical for the time. But I feel like I was probably one of the last ones to do it because those kind of job opportunities just sort of don't kind of they're just not around as much anymore. So yeah, yeah I, I think nowadays. Some sort of either university or course is probably the, the, the better way in unless, you know, you 
know somebody that can give you a shot. Well, true. I think that's a very good point. Now, you mentioned the difference. We well, mentioned the different stations and announcers. Now, I wanted to mention. I sadly haven't been to Western Australia. I've always wanted to. That Pink Lake looks so cool. Um, <laughs> you, you should. It's lovely. <laughs> and it, it seems like you've obviously worked, like you said, in Bunbury and obviously Perth, and we're with with West Coast at the moment. Obviously, you've worked there for quite a time. Do you think that radio and perhaps the way radio is conducted might be conducted differently as opposed from, like, Perth to Brisbane, for example? What would you say to that? Uh, Not the fundamentals of it, no, I wouldn't think. But obviously in terms of what sort of things you talk about, yes. You know, obviously the the differences in sport, you know, whether you're AFL versus, you know, NRL or those kind of things. Um, But in terms of how you actually do it, it's always true. I I think, see, I haven't had to to do the kind of acclimatise yourself to a different state. Mm. I almost wound up in Queensland. I was like, look, briefly going to Townsville. Really? Um, and that would have been a, quite a shift because, you know, obviously that's not very similar in terms of any of the sports or things to, to WA. So that you would have, I, I imagine I would have had to go through a process of working out, all right, where's the where's the big city? Where do people go? And, mm. and discovering where it is people go and do things and what do people do when they're on holidays? Because all of those things would be completely different and all your reference points have to change. So you have to kind of, but that's like anyone that moves to any new town or city, I suppose. You yeah, have to just kind of learn, you know, what the locals do. But apart from that, I don't think, radio would be done terribly different now yeah so it's more it's more about the audience so much in that the radio itself doesn't change but the actual audience sort of reception and the audience content would change and that you know as a presenter is a lot to readjust like i mean i guess people that go from from state to state would have to get used to coming up with you know like a shorthand way of discovering how to make sure that they can connect on sporting levels and you know on politics levels or on, yeah. that's the other thing is even you know where, where you know your town stands on things like daylight saving and mm. you know all of that kind of stuff like you know is, is that a subject that i can make fun of or not like, and, and which <laughs> side of the fence do i make fun of it like you've just you got to know your market you know well that's true i think that's a very good point and I, I think it's about when you mention knowing your market and sort of how you deliver things that actually leads into the next thing i wanted to say so you've been on air sorry to sorry if this makes you feel age but you've been on air for 30 years 1993 at least obviously was your first thing in Bunbury um, yeah. In one way or another, obviously, you've been associated with radio. Pretty much, you know, it almost, I'd say there was a brief period in between, but pretty much almost every day. Like, oh, really? Because you know, for most of the time that I've worked in radio, it's been six day weeks. That's the other thing you must look forward to. You know? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I, I hate to make you feel old again, but I'm only 25, so I've been doing it the entire length of my life. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, I, when I first started, I used to find myself saying to people that came out to my school mm. to do things at assemblies or whatever, I was like, ha. Ah, I met you at my school. You brought the travelling video show out to the school, and yeah, rah, rah. Right. actually, I sit in an office now with a dude that came out to my school in year ten. So I, <laughs> I have made. And he's not actually that much older than me, as it turned out. But right. I make fun of all these people. But uh, it doesn't take long for it all to come straight back. At me. Yeah, so, you soon no, no, find yourself. Yeah, you soon find yourself in that position. And I'm sure if I ever get interviewed like this, if I'm still in the radio position, I'll sure find the irony sweet. Um, Absolutely, don't worry, it'll come. <laughs> the point of point of me bringing this up is that over over that time do you feel like you've had to change the way you talk sort of on air so obviously back in the 90s obviously things might have been culturally a little bit different and then obviously today people might have certain predilections or whatever whatever you might no no sway one way or another what you believe in but do you think that you've had to actually adjust the way you speak maybe a little bit i mean 
when you start, I think you try and copy what you hear. Mm. So, and I don't know if it's necessarily had to. It's just kind of what you tend to do. So you tend to try and sound like people around you. Like getting into, I don't. You wouldn't necessarily know a guy called Ray McGregor who was. Well, actually, maybe you do. He was a, an enormous Queensland voiceover guy right. when I was just starting in radio, and he was just breaking into doing all sorts of national stuff. But equally here, we had a guy like Steve Britton. I don't know if you know much about voiceover guys. Steve Britton's the Channel Nine Triple M guy. Oh yeah. And like he started out in Perth on ninety six FM. And there's a few there's a few other kind of guys that are like stalwarts of the, the voiceover scene. Like and I just wanted to have the big ballsy voice like them. Like yeah. <laughs> so all, all I was trying to do was sound like the voice of God because that was the way. And mm. I suppose you know, that kind of fit for a while. But, I mean, now in terms of voiceovers, certainly that's not necessarily what everyone's looking for. So I guess you do, you go, okay, what, I mean, first of all, I didn't have it. I didn't have the 13 testicle voice that, you know, right. is required to do <laughs> that kind of stuff. Sure. But also I was like, oh, well, I could stop pretending to be that and I can actually work out what I am, which is, I guess, kind of what you do generally. You, you kind of grow into what you sound like. I guess you, and it sounds a bit weird that you do it, people sometimes mock you for it but you listen back to what you do and go oh that either that, that that sounds all right or that sounds a bit fake or that sounds weird i just sound like i'm talking weird so mm. if anything i guess the journey becomes this thing where you just try and work out what sounds natural yeah um yeah which, which is the trend that the industry's gone into so it's not something that i've necessarily done to follow trends it's more just to be less embarrassed with what i sound like (laughs) (laughs) i get you i can i can relate to that i feel like if if you've you know you've got a bit of a nasal if you've got a bit of a higher pitch a lot of like you say the radio people have that you know very deep very bassy sort of thing but it's tough to sort of emulate if you just don't have it i suppose and nowadays you find that you know people that have that presentation style are on certain types of stations and it just kind of it's not even necessarily something that you do deliberately it's sometimes it fits with the style of where you are yeah. like I, I mean i've never worked on a country station but i imagine that's a little different from if you're on a rock station yeah true. And, I mean, and it just you know, the music around you kind of probably shapes what you do i mean now it's weird because now you know for you know years and years i was playing variations of kind of rock and whatever else now I've, rock and oldies my last couple of stations then now i'm here playing you know taylor swift and mm, top 40 you know, sort of stuff their end of things and i suppose that does lend itself to not be quite so over the top mm, <laughs> I guess. so you have to yeah tweak it I get you. It's, it's funny, actually, that you mentioned those voiceover talents, and obviously you mentioned that Roman and Steve, for, obviously, for example, um, and you've done some voiceover talent yourself, obviously. I think the thing that I have always been interested in about voiceover is obviously it doesn't necessarily seem like there's a correlation between voiceover and radio, but do you think amongst those two that there's a correlation or perhaps a relationship with the way someone speaks and maybe their success in radio. So if someone has a certain voice or if they have a certain cadence, they'll just be received better. So say, for example, you have the same script, two different ways of reading it can be received whole, like entirely different. Do you think that's crucial to your success in radio? Uh, it helps. And I mean, look, sometimes there are lots of different ways that you can read a script. So that's not necessarily wrong to do it different ways. But mm. sometimes, you know, in the end, I guess what you've got to do is what the client wants. But sure. in terms of it, there are certain things like, you know, the possibilities for people that don't have the traditional radio voice are certainly open now. Like people are expected to talk normally now. Um, and, you know, and the kind of guy off the street sound is very much, you know, in pretty much most cases now is... Uh, is, is very much expected, which I don't think 
it would have probably sounded odd because you would have been the only one doing it like in the 70s say. Mm. so that, that that probably has that definitely has changed yeah in terms of the connection between voiceovers and, and on air while pretty much anything goes if you've got a really annoying voice you you know that's probably not going to fly because you have to yeah. remember still that whatever it is that you do has to not annoy people True. so in terms of radio and voiceovers, there's quite a bit of scope as long as it's not annoying. Yes. You know? <laughs> it's, it's about finding that sweet key. middle ground. <laughs> yeah, that's the key. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that you don't necessarily think about when you get into it, but I guess if you try and want to make... If your attempt is to try and make a career out of it, you kind of go, okay, what uh, what's least annoying? What works best? What's more flexible? Mm. You know? So, I mean, sometimes you don't necessarily want to be known as the one read guy. Well, I don't know. Some people have made a career out of being the one read guy, but True. you know, you, sometimes you want to be able to do lots of things. Yeah, I think so, the, I think the variety can be a big factor in that. It's certainly a good thing if you want to get more work. Well, true. I think that's a fair point. I think that the last thing I want to ask you, Darren, is the sort of through line question that I've been asking everyone here. So, considering your history in radio, and obviously you've done a lot of speaking and voice work. Um, what would you say about your history in radio that you think that you could use to look forward and maybe foresee the future of radio? Well, I was thinking about this. And, I mean, if there's there's a couple of things. There's certainly, you know, less people in jobs. Technology has meant that there is, you know, less jobs and people doing more things. Mm. So, you know, the, the days... I mean, I, whilst, I, we've, you know, you mentioned that you know, most of my primary roles have been sort of on air, at the same time, I also do a lot of other stuff now like i True. i suppose i take up nowadays a role most of the producer for our show in terms of pulling together best bits and making podcasts and doing social media posts and all that kind of stuff yeah sure so the, the role is much wider most of the people that work here do more than one in fact pretty much everyone that works here does more than one job they're on air and they're also promotions or they're on air and they schedule yeah so, right okay uh, and that i mean that was that was less the case when i started there were certainly individuals that did that. They tend to be the ones that have hung around. So if anything, I guess multi-skilling is important. So, you know, yeah. learning to improve your writing and being able to do voiceovers and, you know, learning to do production and learning to schedule, all of those things really helpful. I can only imagine that would continue into the future. And, yeah, probably, I don't know. I, I think that's probably the biggest one in terms of, in terms of the industry being, you know, run by potentially less and less people. I'd like to think... Because you look around at the successes in radio, and I'd like to think that, that there will be eventually more of a push towards relocalizing. Yeah, sure. Because I think that's that's it's amazing how successful you can be as a radio station the more local you are. I mean, that's kind of the whole point. Yeah, you have I to think really so. kind of service your market. So there's been a tendency away from that with a lot of networking. I'd like to see. I, I'd like to think that that might reverse. They might learn the lessons that having someone that people actually know is from your town doing things in your town might be the solution to actually, you know, encouraging people to spend money on your station so that you can afford to keep running it, you know? Well, true. Maybe. I think that's a fair point. I think that's a lot of, I feel like a lot of people sometimes critique, you know, syndication, you know, things like, you know, mass sort of, um, you know, mass networks taking over the radio when it's always been very local. It's always been a part of people's sort of homes or, you know, their car rides. It's always been very sort of personalized. But I, I see your point there. I see your point. Yes, when you put it up against, you know, streaming services and things that sort of specialize in music, you do have to offer something else than just that if you mm. want people to tune in. And so that's where I guess someone that actually knows what's going on, even if it's just in terms of traffic in your area or, you know, whatever it is, but hopefully more than just traffic and music, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Someone that can actually tailor the listening experience to someone that's local. Well, I mean, if they're really, you know, I'm not saying that you can't do networking because obviously no. 
that that's the reality of where we're at. But sure. yeah, the the more localized you can make it, the better. I agree. I totally agree. Well, thank you, Darren. I really appreciate you talking to me about this, and I'm 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 just thankful, thankful for the time. Stuart, my pleasure, and good luck for your future, mate. I hope to see you soon. Fingers crossed, hey. I want to thank Darren for talking to me today and being a part of Radio History. Tomorrow, we continue our journey and learn the history of Australian broadcast radio. Until then, my name is Stuart Crichton. Thank you all for listening.